0: The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. 106.9 FM.
1: Merrill for the lead. He's got it. Williams, left-hand dribble, hands off to Memo for money. Yes!
0: 1390 AM.
2: Y'all getting paid millions. To act like. Oh my gosh!
3: We're rolling now. <laughs> I think so. Microphones are on.
2: Marker 810. Go. The fan. Greetings, Earthlings. We have now taken over your radio. Welcome back, season three here. Full court press. Too bad you missed a really cool intro because you're too busy chatting. I heard part of it. <laughs> heard the end of it. Yeah. Eric France and Audrey Salvison. welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Full Court Press. Two hours, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So glad to have you guys joining us, however and wherever you are doing so, on 106 on FM, 1390 AM and 106 on the fan dot com. Hope your Friday's is as good as ours. It's good to be back. It's good to have sports back. It's good to have jazz basketball back. What a game that was last night as they defeat the Pelicans. Uh, in thrilling fashion, and then the following game just after that does itself better uh, with uh, Lakers overcoming the Clippers. Uh, In a game that, you know, the Clippers had a couple bench guys out, didn't seem to affect them too much. They still played pretty good defense, but in the end, LeBron was just LeBron James, and that alone did it in for uh, uh, for the Clippers, who fall to the Lakers, Kind of a bad loss for the Clippers because the Denver Nuggets are creeping up, the Jazz are creeping up, and there's a little bunch going on there between the uh, second, third, and really the fourth spot. If things can uh, fall the Jazz way, but a good start for them, Eric.
3: I could not have asked for more exciting basketball for the reset. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And, you know, when the, when the games are going, I just kind of sat there thinking, man, I've, I've missed this. I knew I missed this, but, man, I didn't realize how much I've missed this. And uh, Jazz started out great. They got in a little bit of a funk. <laughs> New Orleans uh, had matchup problems that the Jazz have have not been able to solve really <laughs> yet. Uh, Ingram just went off. The Jazz had no answer. Hey, but well, then... Well, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, but then they they figured a few things out, and it just the, the coaching genius that the Jazz bench has... They knew that there was no interior defense for New Orleans. And so the Jazz just continued to uh, attack the paint, attack the rim. And I was just blown away at how many looks the Jazz were getting at the rim. So uh, a fun game for Utah. So fitting that Rudy got the first basket and essentially scores the last points of the game as well. Uh, The guy that's been the focal point of the whole shutdown and controversy that maybe it was blown up more than it was or maybe there really was more that was that we didn't know beforehand but to see how it all came together for Utah was was a, was fascinating however what's been disappointing is that the only thing the only thing that I'm seeing anywhere about that game was that Zion Williamson did not finish the game nothing about the the great play of Donovan Mitchell how we drove and found uh, Rudy Gobert under the hoop for that great play. Uh, the, the good defensive performance by some of the other guys. The, how Mike Connolly stepped up his game. How Jordan Clarkson was electric coming off the bench. The only thing that I'm seeing in national publications is about how Zion Williamson did not finish the game. That is That just fits their national narrative. Let's go with the exciting young player and forget everything else. And if you were to see highlights you would see highlights of Brandon Ingram and how he can shoot the three but also drive to the, to the rim. Yeah, it's like the Jazz did not exist. that it, it was a New Orleans Pelicans show, and the Jazz just happened to be there.
2: Yeah, that's the unfortunate and thing, and we'll is, forget the score. too, yeah. by the way, but there there is a case to that. I mean, I have a theory to that, and I have a, I have a thought to it, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But we don't want to waste any more time here. We do have an opening guest uh, that that uh, is uh, joining us here on the Full Court Press from the athletic, He's the Utah Utes beat rider. It's uh, Chris Kamrani, uh, who has uh, been covering Jason Shelley for quite some time, and now Jason Shelley, of course, is headed to Logan to go play football. I guess he is in Logan. To play football for the Utah State Aggies, and uh, want to get uh, Chris's thoughts on on uh, on Jason, on what kind of football player he was in Utah, what the Aggies can expect from him, but also news today: the Pac-12 schedule has came out, and what do the what does Ute Nation think of that Pac-12 schedule? Chris, thanks for your time.
4: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
2: Hey, let's start here. Jason Shelley does leave Utah; he goes to Logan. What was what brings Jason Shelley here? Was it him contacting Gary, or did Gary contact him? What's that relationship that brings Jason to Logan?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen now the last couple years is that Gary has utilized that uh, that year back in Salt Lake to his advantage being up in Logan. You look at what he was able to do getting guys like C.O.C. Mariner and Caleb Repp, uh and Nick Henninger up there after year one. And now he gets, he gets Jason Shelley and then uh, most recently Devonte Henry Cole. So clearly Gary's developed uh, a pseudo pipeline from, from Salt Lake to, to Logan. And I mean, I think it's a fit, frankly, I think what, what Gary wants to do offensively as a, you know, spread offense look, Jason provides that. I mean, that's what he was as a high school quarterback. Uh, that's what he was when he was at Utah, when he had time as a starter and, um, you know, it's it's I don't think it's going to be a huge leap for Jason to go. Um, I mean, I think he's going to be the starter, assuming that the Mountain West has a, has a season in 2020. So um, I think it's going to be an interesting fit. Um, I, have, I also think uh, Devonta Henry Cole will be an interesting fit, too, because I think when he decided to go to BYU, um, a lot of people assumed that he was going down there to buy for a starting job. But now I think considering where BYU is kind of up against it with, with losing so many different opponents due to power five conferences, dropping um, non-conference schedules. I figure Devonte was like, hey, I, I can go play with one of my closest friends um, still in Utah and be up in Logan and, and, and compete with Jalen Warren for that starting running back spot.
3: Chris, I want to get back to Devontae Henry Cole in just a moment, but with Jason Shelley, he's a guy that started five games for the Utes, Pac-12 competition, 3-2 and two in those games. Uh, how effective is he as a starting quarterback? Here's a guy who had his shot, yeah. but consistently had other opportunities that others kept getting in front of him to get right. additional shots. So really, we we see that he started games, he won some games, but he also had other guys keep getting in front of him, and he was even going to change positions.
4: Yeah, it's it's tough because he... he Replaced uh, Tyler Huntley when when Tyler went down for the year in 2018, and obviously went three and one down the stretch, or three and zero down the stretch rather before the Pac-12 Championship game. And obviously, you know Utah lost to Oregon and Northwestern in those last two games. But it's it's uh, it's tough to kind of understand um, you know what Jason was going through at the time because here's a kid that really had never started before, and all of a sudden he's thrust into the mix. Um, with, with Tyler going down, and, and we can't forget either that Zach Moss got hurt at that same time, too. So what, what Jason's um, skill set provides, I think, is outside of his physical attributes, obviously. He's a shorter quarterback, but he's very dynamic. He has a good arm. Uh, he can escape the pocket. He can stay in the pocket if he wants, but uh, considering what he was able to do at Utah, I think he goes down in his time at Utah as one of the most popular players during his time there. I mean, like everybody loved Jason. And I think if you're a quarterback, if you're starting quarterback, that's what you want um, out of that guy that's going to be leading the team. I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how he takes the mantle because again, here's a guy that, you know, took Utah to the PAC 12 title game in 2018. And then last year was dropped to the third string quarterback after uh, Drew Lisk became the second string quarterback behind Tyler Huntley. There, were some, there was some there's a coordinator change there, so that that tends to happen. And obviously, you know, Utah asked Jason to move to, to safety before the, the bowl game against Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And you know, he he obviously wasn't happy about it and he was he wasn't going to make us think about it publicly, but he always wanted to be a starting quarterback. And I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier the, the pipeline that, that Gary's kind of created for himself is, is, is a positive because I think if there are guys in, in Utah's program that, you know, maybe can't get the amount of minutes they want, they're still Pac-12 caliber players. And I think, you know, Utah State would be happy to have those guys come over and, and be stars. I mean, frankly, like CSC Mariner was one of the best wide receivers in the Mountain West Conference last year. And now, you know, he got signed by the Raiders but as an undrafted free agent I also think Caleb Rep will be a really good tight end, too. So it's just one of those things that um, I think Jason has the ability, but we really haven't seen that borne out totally because he hasn't necessarily been given the keys to the car yet. And now now it seems like he has that uh, opportunity in front of him.
2: Chris, if there's one thing that concerns you about Jason Shelley, at quarterback, a weakness that he may have, it would be what? (laughs) I'd just say inexperience.
4: I mean, I. I we, here's a guy that started five games. I, I just think that, and and that those five games were going to be two years prior to when he suits up this fall. I mean, he he just doesn't have a lot of experience as a quarterback. Um, he has the intangibles to be good. And, and clearly he's, he's uh, he got the job when Tyler went down, but like I said, that was a previous offensive coordinator who had built a system specifically around uh, dual threat quarterbacks. Now, Obviously, you know, Bodie Reader can do whatever he wants to do and, and build it, build an offense around um, around Jason if he wants it wants it to be more spread. If you, it, it's just going to be an interesting fit because when Jason was the starter at Utah, like Utah was running the ball thirty times a game, and and Jason was throwing fifteen to twenty times. A lot of those times were off play action. I don't necessarily think Utah State's going to be, have that kind of look in, in twenty twenty. I could be wrong. But I think when when you're looking at what Jason needs to improve on, uh, accuracy, comfort in the pocket, just overall experience, and obviously Utah State uh, felt like they were going to be the program that can give him that shot.
3: So I want to ask you similarly about Devontae Henry-Cole. Here's a running back who had opportunities at Utah, was going to go to BYU. Now he's coming to Utah State. It, we haven't seen a lot of tape on him. He hasn't played in a, a lot of games. But, again, here's another guy who – Looked like he had some opportunities, maybe, but kept yeah. finding himself a little bit deeper on the depth chart than, than apparently where he wanted.
4: Yeah, that's a tough one too, because again, anytime you're playing behind the greatest running back in the history of a program that's known for having really good running backs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> touches touches are going to be a little limited there, guys. And, and I think um, you know Devonte's situation is, is pretty similar to that of Jason's. Like he he wanted more minutes, he wanted more reps, he wanted a shot at being a starter. But as the years went on, he just wasn't going to get that shot. And, and and you guys know, like college football, no one's going to wait around for you. And Devontae did have some tough breaks. I mean, he suffered a season-ending injury a couple years ago. Uh, he broke his arm and was was out for the entire year and was kind of behind the eight ball in that sense. And and Utah goes on. Zach Moss uh, keeps being Zach Moss. And Utah recruits a couple highly sought-after running backs. And all of a sudden, Devontae is you know, third or fourth or fifth on the depth chart. Uh, that being said, he's the change of pace back. He's the type of guy that um, he's he's an interesting case because he's small, but he's stout. Um, but he was more, like I said, a, a change of pace back at Utah, a guy that's comfortable catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, and I think if you're looking for an ideal complement to what Jalen Warren presents at Utah State, who's kind of that tough, bruising uh, presence, I think Devontae could present that um, sort of off balance for a, a defense to have to deal with.
2: The uh, Aggies have been known for the last couple, maybe three years, because of Jordan Love, to be an in-pocket quarterback team. Uh, Nothing too fancy with the quarterback. Does Jason Shelley change all that with his great mobility?
4: Yeah, I mean, potentially. I think a lot of that, again, if if we're talking about what Utah State can can do to build around Jason, I think you also have to talk about what kind of weapons are going to be at his disposal. Obviously, you know Jordan was who he was, especially in 2018 because of the insane amount of talent he had around him on the outside. Obviously, he wasn't the exact same quarterback in 2019, but it's it's going to be uh, one of those things where Utah State's going to have to figure out where its strengths strengths are on offense, and um, if if they're going to be comfortable with with keeping Jason upright and healthy, that's that's another thing. I mean, if if you want to use Utah as a as an example, um, you know. Tyler Huntley got beat up a lot in his last few years outside of his senior year, because he was running a lot. Um, and to your point, like, you know, Jordan was the guy that wanted to stay in the pocket and throw, and he didn't get hit all that much, at least up until 2019. So it's one of those things like, does Utah state feel comfortable enough with its quarterback depth to, to turn Jason loose and risk him getting hurt? Because now all of a sudden, I, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but with Henry leaving, they, they have a, Now they just have a bunch of young guys behind Jason. So Mm -hmm. it would be interesting to see how comfortable they are with their quarterback depth at that point.
3: Again, we're talking to Chris Kamrani. He is a beat writer for The Athletic, covering the Utah Utes. And uh, speaking of the Utes and the Pac-12, the uh, Pac-12 released their schedule for this upcoming season. Uh, We already know that uh, with this announcement, doing conference only, Utah State had preseason games or pre-conference games. With Washington State and Washington scheduled, we've known now for a few weeks that that wasn't going to happen. But now Utah knows what their schedule is going to look like. What was that? And I know this announcement just happened just yep. earlier this afternoon. I know it's very fresh. Uh, what's the initial reaction to this uh, schedule announcement today?
4: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one because they basically reconfigured the entire thing for all 12 teams. Uh, once they decided to go conference only, they gave themselves about three weeks to, to get this you know, format and blueprint together. Uh, first blush, Utah's first five weeks are all winnable. I mean, they start off on the road at Wazoo in Colorado, two programs with, with brand new coaches. They get a home game against Oregon State, who's been terrible the last few years. Friday night game at UCLA, which could be tricky. Then you get a bye, and then you get uh, Arizona at home. Then they have probably the most difficult run out of any team in the Pac-12. They're at ASU, home to Washington, at Cal, home to SC on a Friday night. And then the added team um, as the 10th team is the reigning Rose Bowl champions and and winners of the Pac-12 a year ago, Oregon, who come to town on December 5th. So for what's going to be the youngest Utah team that Kyle Whittingham has ever had. And, and don't forget, guys, that Kyle's been a coach at Utah since 1994. So this is going to be his 26th year as a coach or head coach at Utah. He said this is by far the youngest team that he's ever going to have. The fact that they can get a manageable start um, can maybe, you know, use that coach speak, provide them some sort of momentum going into that final five weeks because those, that back end of the schedule is going to be brutal for him.
2: I know you do cover the Utah Utes, but that team down south that wears the blue, they're in a heap amount of trouble because of the SEC's announcement of conference only. Have you heard anything on what maybe the rivals of the Utes, the Cougars, will be doing for as a schedule?
4: No, I haven't. I mean, I, they're they're in a tough spot, frankly, with the Big Ten starting it, and then the Pac-12 following suit, then the SEC announcing this week that they're going to conference only. That drops all of U, U, or BYU's kind of premier opponents. On, on the schedule, obviously they still get to keep the Mountain West schools. They get to keep the rivalry date with, with Utah state, but right now it's going to be tough to, to see how they figure out um, how to fill the rest of those spots. And in 2020, they might have to um, see if somebody lets them in, in a, into a conference, you know, look this year, I know they've meant there were some rumors about the big 12 potentially letting them in, but those were quickly shot down. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of flack given to, to the BYU Athletic Department based on their move to the independent route so many years ago. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously nobody could have planned for a pandemic and for it to, to hit the way it did in this country. And, and we're all in a, in a terrible spot. So I know, I know it's easy to say that, you know, independence is, is the worst way to go, but if you're not Notre Dame, you're, you're kind of left out in the cold right now. And BYU has to figure out and, and get somebody to, to lend them an olive branch.
2: Chris, we know you're being pulled in all sorts of directions for interviews, and so we'll let you go, but we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Great stuff, and wish you the best.
4: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys.
2: Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yep. Uh, Chris produces great stuff. You can
3: read it on The Athletic. Yes, it is a subscription-based uh, site, but... It is so worth it for it. Oh, If my you goodness. can spring
2: for it, it's worth it. There's he, a lot of great and content. And he had a great article on Jason Shelley and what he's going to bring to Aggie Nation. He was very positive about him, uh, Has a, and he actually has facts to go with his opinion. Uh, of games and of plays, of what he can do. Really, really good stuff.
3: Well, I think it backs up a lot of what we've kind of been suspecting about Gary and his opinion of the offense from last year and how he wanted to change it a little bit Um, and that uh, the offense wasn't on the field enough, long enough. And uh, a pocket passer, quick reads, this doesn't sit well with Gary and how he likes to run things. And so I think it was pretty clear he was going to try to move in a direction that um had some more mobility asked for by the quarterback, and I think that uh, Henry Columbia could have provided that. I'm not saying that Henry Columbia would not have been suited to do that, but you know it is what it is I mean the situation is 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 uh is clear now what's going on so uh Jason Shelley in the mix um how quickly he can get caught up to speed and because uh, it's been a little while since he's been called on to especially throw the ball much, so I think that's going to be a really good uh, good key to see where this uh, this Utah State offense is, and Henry Cole, uh, Devonte Henry Cole too, how he fits into the running back situation, and how they can use uh, uh, a couple of running backs to kind of hit hit opposing defenses.
2: With different changeups, I think that's kind of interesting and exciting for USU. I know people have been joking about it around here at Aggie Nation. Calling it run DHC. But it's probably going to be that or close to that. With the sidekick of Jason Shelley as well. Who is, we heard from Chris, is a good mobile quarterback. Can create on his own. And as good as Jordan is. He is really, really good. Uh, I think the one thing you'd like to see out of Jordan a little bit more. Was just some more mobility. But, of course, he's a pocket guy. Brady's a pocket guy, and he's the greatest quarterback ever. So,
3: you know, Jordan had mobility. He just didn't – he I mean, preferred he used, his arm. Yeah, he'd yeah. rather
2: throw it 62 yards and run the 15 for the first down. It's yeah. because he had a great arm, great accuracy, great strength, and was really – could put it on the money to any great receiver. So that does help. A big thanks to Chris Cam- Camerani. Dude, I thought I butchered his name at first. I was so nervous. And then uh, I looked at it again. I was like, no, I think I got it right. So a big thanks to Chris Cromnani of The Athletic to talk to us about Jason Shelley. We're going to take a break. Coming back, Utah Jazz Basketball. Let Steve Diaper. Steve Diaper? Sh- no, nope, shut up. <laughs> what? No, nope, stop it. Which Steve? No, nope, stop it. He's wearing a diaper. Nope, stop this right now. Let's Is he a baseball player deeper into... Because
3: <laughs> I think... There's a lot of baseball players at the uh, higher-ups that are messing their diapers. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and
0: online at 1069thefan.com.
3: I just want to huggies or loves, Jay. Or do you go cloth? You go old school.
2: You know Just gonna shake it out <laughs> Put it under the sink. Nine three four uh nine three one five text in. I hate you so badly. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna be you more s- of a I don't know what's gonna it. go more viral. That or berber. <laughs> it's it it's pretty damn close though. I hate you. As soon as I said it, I looked at you, and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, this is going south. It's over. It's going south quickly. 9315 uh, text in. I think Gary is doing a great job with transfers. I just heard today that we got a new one from BYU, and I like the new QB. Yep, the new one will be a freshman defensive back coming uh, over from BYU to Utah State. Uh, so add a little bit more depth in that backfield, which lost has lost some pretty good talent. Still keep Shaq Bond, keep Troy LaForge Jr., uh, Andre Grayson Jr. or Jr. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. uh, he's still there. I like him. So you got some help there, but uh, the depth after that kind of drops off. So it'll be good to see those guys and see who can step up.
3: Yeah, I, I think that uh, these are good additions. I'm still a little surprised by the Jason Shelley, and I don't think that we really understand fully. Did he come because Columbia was leaving, or did Columbia leave because Shelley was coming? Uh, That's water under the bridge now. It doesn't really matter because it's happened. Uh, So all that we can do now is understand who Jason Shelley is and how he can help Utah State, Um, how he fits in, how does the the rest of the team accept him. Uh, There there were some interesting Twitter squabbles going on a few weeks ago about transfers versus those who have been groomed and and, uh, worked hard to get their own positions. But uh, you know what? Transfers happen all the time. I, I think that um, I think those that situation got resolved. I believe maybe not fully, but I think it got resolved with the with the players. That um, sometimes you have an immediate need, and sometimes you bring someone in to compete. Doesn't mean they're going to get the job, but you bring them in to to encourage others to continue to work hard. That you don't just feel like you've got it. Because sometimes when you walk in and you feel like it's just there for you, you're not competing. You're not trying as hard. So um, I-, I think that the Devontae Henry Cole isn't necessarily a slight against Jalen Warren either. So I think that you can never have too many good, hard running backs. I think there is a lot to be said with rhythm, um, but it's not quite the same with running backs as it is with quarterbacks. But um, but still... Uh, I think these are good additions. Uh, I think that still the questions remain with the uh, wide receivers for Utah State, and a lot of questions on the on defense. Like, what's the what's the linebacker core? What's that defensive front? Um, how are they going to come along? So I think there's still a few little questions out there about this Utah State team. I think they'll be better than what's being predicted in these preseason polls, but uh, I don't. I also don't think that they're going to be challenging for the conference title. That is if they even play. Hope they do. With the announcement from the Pac-12 today, they're they're going all in with conference schedule as we've heard. Uh we'd already know the Big 10 is going conference only. The ACC is doing a plus 1 model. We're not entirely sure about the SEC. Um um and uh though they they're going a conference schedule only looks like. Uh but uh and with the plus one model. But the uh, the Big 12 still hasn't
2: said anything. Yeah, there's still left uh, a lot left on the doorstep that we're waiting for the door to open so we can get off the porch here. The Big 12 is part of that scenario, uh, as is the Mountain West. The Mountain West hasn't went out and said we're all conference only yet. They've been very quiet. We So we are not sure where we stand with the Mountain West Conference. Does They're- the Mountain West do stuff with
3: Conference USA? And- yeah. The, the other conferences and say, hey, well, let's f- let's fill in our other games by playing each other. Or do they all just say, we're just going to go conference only. We'll keep
2: it more regional. We'll just try to weather the storm the best we can. It's the Full Court Press here on 106NFM, on 1390AM and 106 on the fan.com. Eric Franson, and am J. Salveson. Thanks for joining us for our Season 3 premiere of the Full Court Press. Two-hour show beginning today. So we got another full hour for you coming up right after the 4 o'clock hour. We aren't going anywhere glad to have you joining us. However, and wherever you are doing so, what a spicy st- start to the uh, reset opener last night. Eric, you talked a little bit about it. Really good stuff. We start with the Utah Jazz uh and the uh New Orleans Pelicans. 106 to 104 is the final score. Jazz were outscored in the first half in both quarters, 26-23 and then 34-25. And then opened the floodgates uh in the third quarter. They're up 31-27. And then twenty seven to seventeen held the Pelicans to seventeen points in the fourth quarter. Now a lot of that will do be done or (laughs) will be due to the story of that Zion Williamson did not play. He he was limited in minutes restriction, which I understand. Well, I actually don't because we've been sitting and resting for how long? I'm not sure why there's a minutes restriction. But the other part, if there is a minutes restriction, which he says there was, Alvin Gentry does. Why don't you handle it better? Why do you play him from the get go and let him go and then sit him out for the other, you know, for the back half of it, where it's the most important minutes of the game and you're watching Lonzo Ball just get grilled on the court? Uh, Brendan Ingram had great, great moments in that first half, did well in the third quarter and then started playing hero ball in the fourth quarter. They couldn't play defense in, on the backcourt, We're getting burnt everywhere, and Zion Williamson wasn't there to take care of them. So, I mean, I, I get the minutes restrictions, sure. But you got to manage it better than that for a seeding game.
3: Yeah, I agree. It was a poor allocation of those minutes. I I, I get why there is a minutes allocation, Ajay, as opposed to you. Just because he hadn't played organized basketball in four months. Then they get to the bubble, and he, he isn't there very long, and he has to leave again for a family emergency, which I don't blame him for. No, not at all. But he was with his team basically a day and a half before – full-on competitive basketball. And this is a big guy. And he's a very powerful guy. And if he goes in there and thinks, I'm going to go 100, 100 miles per hour, full bore, uh, he's going to get hurt. and Or he's going to hurt somebody else. Uh, but I think they just have to be careful about easing him into full-level competition. So I understand the minutes restriction. Because that much time off, you got to get your body right and... And uh, five-on-five competitive basketball, it's not something you just flip a switch. It's a lot easier for guys that that age than than others in the league, but still. But I agree with you in that they started him, which, okay, you know, it's the start. It's the big thing. You start your stars. You get all the attention. But then how they allocated the time after that was suspicious, especially... It was a close game. Yes, there was a point in time when New Orleans looked like they were in control, uh, but... You should know the Jazz are a good team with veteran players that are going to make a run. So it was a little suspicious on how they used his time, especially for a team that's fighting for a spot. I know that a lot of people feel like you know New Orleans has the easiest schedule in the bubble. Uh, Zion Williamson gets all the attention. The NBA wants them to make the playoffs. They want more games for New Orleans, but New Orleans isn't helping themselves. Because no.
2: it's, it's still a very tight race. Last night, let's look at the box score really quickly. Royce O'Neal in 35 minutes goes 5 of 11 from the field, 2 of 7 from deep. He has 12 points with 4 turnovers, 9 rebounds. Uh, Rudy Gobert in 34 minutes, 5 of 9 from the field, 4 of 5 from the free throw line, including 2 clutch free throws to win it for the Utah Jazz. He has 14 points, 12 boards. Uh, 10 of those uh, were defensive, so he had the 2 offensive rebounds. He also had 3 blocks. Uh, Mike Conley. Really good. I, Eric, you're starting to uh, turn me around here on the whole Mike Conley wagon. 34 minutes, 7-16 to 16 from the field. He was 2-7 from deep. Perfect from the charity stripe, a 4-4. Uh, he had four assists, one rebound, and 20 points from Mike Conley. And a block. And a block, yep. And the block was really good, too. He came up from nowhere and got him. Joe Ingles in 32 had 4-7. 1-3 uh, from deep, 4-5 from the line. He had 13 points. He had five turnovers, though. Two yeah. assists, three boards, uh, and then Donovan Mitchell. And he got into
3: foul trouble, and that was kind of
2: a problem, especially early in the Foul number half. two was a horrible call, though. You're straight up, and he bumps into you, and because you're moving with him, they're going to call that on you every time. It's a horrible call. I hate it. Donovan Mitchell in 36 minutes, 6 of 14 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 6 of 7 from the line. He had five assists, five rebounds, 20 points. Uh, he had two turnovers. He had the one block as well. I thought, Eric, Donovan Mitchell in the fourth quarter went Sam Merrill-esque and just said, you know what? We got to start scoring. It's got to be on me. Let's go.
3: That's one of the great things that I love about Donovan Mitchell. We've seen guys before, Gordon Hayward, who would shrink from the clutch. Even Carl Malone at times would clamp up a little bit, not all – not the same level as, as Gordon, but we've seen Jazz players before, the great ones start to get a little bit tightened. They tighten up or they defer a little bit um, and people are not sure who wants to take the, that critical shot. Donovan Mitchell does not shy away from that at all. He's clutch. He dials it up a whole other notch when it gets to the fourth quarter and when it gets to the clutch. The clutch is the last five minutes of regulation in a close game within five points. And Donovan Mitchell dials it up. And he's a great player, not only for what he does scoring, but
2: how he set up Rudy for that last opportunity for points. How about Fantastic. that pass? How about Fantastic. that pass? And that's and that's that's playing basketball. That's the progression of Donovan Mitchell of seeing the court so much better uh, for the Pelicans. Brendan Ingram leads the Pelicans with 23 points. He was seven eight from the line, seven of 20 from the field. Two of eight from deep. He had the one block. Uh, Ingram was really good until the fourth quarter. And then he got selfish a little bit. Right, he went hero ball. Yeah. tried On to put that last too possession,
3: much. Oh, a perfect screen set up for J.J. JJ Reddick, Reddick, who comes was to top of- hot.
2: Oh, yeah. And by the way, Joe Ingles went underneath the screen, and so Reddick was left alone. And you could tell Reddick was a little bit frustrated. By the way, how about J.J. Redick last night? 21 points, 7 of 15 from the field. This is off the bench, by the way. Three of eight from three and four of four from the line. He had four rebounds, three assists, and 21 points. And then, uh, you know, Zion Williamson was really good, actually. In fact, I'm going to say this. If Zion Williamson plays the whole game, Jazz lose that game by 12, 13 points. Zion Williamson was taking control, and they couldn't stop him. Uh, they had a hard t- – it's a matchup problem. <laughs> the Jazz don't have somebody that can match up with him. 13 points. He had no rebounds, one assist, and two turnovers, and three fouls. He gets credit with the minus 16, though that isn't all on him. Lonzo Ball uh, in 27 minutes was 2-13 of 13 from the field, 0-4 from deep. He had 7 assists, 6 rebounds, and he had 3 turnovers to finish with a whopping 4 points. Oh, his shots were so ugly. But do you know who else was ugly? George Ying, who was absolutely disgusting last night. 13 minutes, 0-6 from the field, 0-3 from deep. He had 2 offensive rebounds, uh, and he had... No turnovers, and he had no points, but yet he played 13 minutes.
3: Yeah, his offense was not good, but um, I, I thought that he was doing a manageable job on defense. I, But, uh, again, just manageable. Yeah,
2: and, and that's the not thing is great. that even on defense, he was not good. Even on defense, he was getting beat off the dribble by anybody. In fact, they were starting to pick on George and say, give me a screen, set me up with George, and I'll take him to the hole. You know who I really liked last night? Jordan Clarkson oh, in 32 minutes. 8-17 from the field. He was one of 8 from deep. I didn't know he was that bad. Uh, five boards, uh, all defensive. He had two steals and two turnovers. He had the 23 points, though, overall. I, I thought, honestly, Jordan Clarkson, for the most part, was under control, especially offensively.
3: Yeah, he's an interesting cat where it, the Jazz are a very system-oriented team until Jordan Clarkson comes in, and it's like, get get Jordan the ball and get out of the way.
2: <laughs> move around yeah, that's almost kind of what the offense has and, to be though
3: yeah and he's just let him go to work because he's shifty he twists his body he attacks the rim he makes things happen and new orleans just didn't have an answer for him and he knew uh that he could attack the rim and new orleans couldn't stop it and then everybody else started to follow nice. suit so um uh, I, I was really impressed with his play reminded about what kind of a punch he brings off the bench Again, the Jazz still miss Boyan. They they missed oh, that stretch so four, much. miss so, a bigger so, body, so but you know they managed it okay against one of the more difficult lineups to handle because of that.
2: Uh, here is Rudy Gobert on the chance to be able to play basketball again. Life works in a mysterious way, you
0: know, and, uh, I'm just happy, it's blessed to be able to you know be back on court, uh, do what I love to do. To, uh, be back out there and try to win the game. You know, I think it was pretty important for us to try to start on the positive note and, uh, you know, we're just going to keep getting better and better and, uh, and you know, it's a uh, it's great feeling to
2: be back. We apologize for the background noise. That's not us. That's them. That's what you get with COVID-19 this year is trying to get over the screen interviews in the middle of play. it. Uh, And then, again, Rudy Gobert is, uh he approves of the league protocols. I think we,
0: We've been putting the, in the best and time safest uh, environment possible you know i think uh, the few days were obviously a lot of things were in place when we got there but now like you know the food is, is a lot better the, obviously the, the safety protocol is, is uh, top of the line you know and uh, and uh, we got good infrastructure and all that so it, i think we, we've been putting in a
2: Again, that's a Rudy Gobert after last night where he had the two final points of the game. 106-104. Jazz beat the Pelicans. They now await tomorrow's game. Uh, and that is a is that an early afternoon game by it's the like way? It's like 130. Yeah, 130. Is that what it is, I believe? For the Utah Jazz. Uh, and then they uh, we'll play on Monday evening, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to relook at this. Yeah, they play
3: 130 against the Thunder. So we'll have pregame right here on the fan starting at 120. David Locke with the full play-by-play. And that'll Is be it? on
2: ESPN, by the way, too.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a fun matchup. Shea Gilgis, alexander Uncle Chris. Uh, oh,
2: I forgot about Uncle Chris. Yeah,
3: yeah, Adams. I love Adams. Oh, me too, Steven. Yeah, Steven yeah, I mean, Adams he's a beast. In, the, in the center. Big uh, New Zealander. But uh, they're, that's a that's a challenging challenging team to face.
2: Back-to-back national television games they will be as they will play on ESPN on on Saturday and then play on ESPN on Monday at 7 o'clock versus who? None else than Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the L.A. Lakers team. Which, by the way, last night, let's get to that game really quickly. What a game that was. A defensive battle. Again, you have no Montrezl Harrell, you have no Patrick Beverly, and you have no Lou Williams, but you're still able to hang with as best as you possibly can this LA Lakers squad, uh, final score last night, 101 So the two opening games decided by combined four points, Anthony Davis was phenomenal. He had 30 points, thirty four points last night. LeBron James defensively was really, really good in the end. Obviously he had the, the big stop where he had a guard quiet turnaround on a switch. Then guard Anth or not Anthony Davis, uh, Paul George and, uh, Paul George's three, uh, Banks off the glass and uh, and goes long. And, then, again, the Lakers win at 103-101. Uh, do you have the standings right there by chance? Are you looking at them by any crazy opportunity? No. The s- standings? Yeah. I'll take that as a no.
3: No, but I can get them up right now.
2: Uh, Anthony Davis in 35 minutes. Again, he had 34 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. He was a monster last night. LeBron James, 16 points on 6-19 shooting. He was only 2-7 from deep, but he had 11 boards, 7 assists. He did have five turnovers as well, uh, and then how about uh, how about Kyle Kuzma?
3: Well, so that's the thing I wanted to focus on. That Kuzma w- was good for the Lakers off the bench. He basically played starters' minutes. Yeah, they should just make him a starter uh, because
2: what did he have thirty? Aye, thirty-two minutes. Beyond
3: aye. Anthony Davis and LeBron James, nobody else who started was really worth much for LA for the Lakers. Um. But that's what they're going to get. I mean, that's, it's what they have. It's going to be Le- LeBron and Anthony doing what they can, and everybody else just kind of feeding off the scraps. But if they really want a chance to win this whole thing, they need that consistent third option. Kyle has that potential, but he's yeah, he's just not I'm consistent. He's not you. as consistent. Now, what do you want to look at for the standings?
2: Uh, just I mean, so the Clippers lose. Yes. Where does that put Denver from the Clippers? What's that separation from 2, 3, and 4 looking at right now? Good
3: question. So the Clippers are 6.5 behind L.A. Then uh, Denver is one game behind the Clippers. The Jazz are one game behind Denver. Oh my gosh. And then Oklahoma City and Houston are both a game and a half behind Utah.
2: Really quickly, updates on uh, games going on right now. we got a doozy in Orlando on NBA TV right now, Portland 124, Memphis 122, 37.5 left in that game. Orlando beats Brooklyn today 128, 118. That's a bad loss for Brooklyn, if you ask
3: Orlando's scoring has been crazy. Yeah, I don't know what's That's going on. That's where it was on. before the, the break stopped, before everything stopped for the NBA, the regular season. Uh, they've figured something out offensively. I,
2: I don't think I'd want to face Orlando right now. Another shocker as well, Phoenix beats Washington, 125-112. And about uh, whenever this game ends between Portland and Memphis, uh, you are going uh, to get Boston and Milwaukee. That's a 430-time game. That was supposed to be starting already. Might be a little bit delayed on the start. And then Sacramento, San Antonio tonight. To cap it all off for the rest of the night, it's Houston and Dallas. Houston 14-24, Dallas 14-27. Be fun. Yo, that what, what are be you fun. looking forward to in that matchup?
3: Dallas, though? by
2: the way, favored by one and a half in that matchup. Ooh. I think it's just because of Chris Stapp's porzingis I honestly think alone, Chris Stapp's porzingis pushes that spread to 1-1.5. Otherwise, it'd be the Rockets because they got the height. Dallas does. If you're looking at it Well, and I think the,
3: the Rockets may be hurt a little bit because of Eric Gordon's injury.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot. He has an ankle injury. X-rays mm-hmm. were negative, but he's still going to be out for at least tonight's game and most likely for the next 2-3. to three. Oh, tie game, 2.8 seconds to go. Between uh, ooh, Memphis and Portland? Going overtime. Ah, ha, ha, ha. we got overtime, extra basketball, first overtime game of the uh, of the restart. Hey, really quick, I want to go back to the Jazz basketball team here. Give me positives and give me concerns as we get ready for uh, Oklahoma City Saturday afternoon.
3: Well, I think the positives are Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are just fine. They're playing well together. They're finding each other. They're complementing each other. Uh, that's a positive. Um, they're they're getting help off the bench. That's a positive. Mike Connolly is performing like Memphis Mike. That's a positive. What concerns me is George Niang, Joe Ingalls, um, others coming off the bench who might be able to, to score consistently. So I think Joe, if he can stay out of foul trouble, I think he'll be fine. He doesn't necessarily need to be a 15 to 20 point. A game scorer because of all the other things that he does for the Jazz. Um, a little bit concerned with Royce O'Neal. I, I thought that he was spending a lot of effort defensively and he wasn't getting much flow offensively. Um, so a few little concerns there. Uh, and just when Rudy goes out, it was – the Jazz did not look good at all. They yeah, missed Rudy for his defense no, and a his great offense. Point.
2: That's an absolutely great point. In fact, it was uh, it was a nineteen to eight ball game when Rudy Gobert went out, and then all of a sudden it was twenty seven twenty four New Orleans, and Quinn Snyder was making some rotational changes. He was calling timeouts, whatever he could to stop this run. He was trying, and and JJ Redick and Brandon Ingram were just lighting the Jazz up. Again, I fault the bench, but I also fault George Nying. I just wasn't a fan of his play last night. And, you know, we talked about it offensively, but I love the point you brought up defensively. He just looked slow. He looked lost. He looked uninterested. And he looked like he was getting turned around by guys I felt like he should be better than on the defensive side of the ball.
3: Yeah, uh, Bradley, uh, you know, so-so. Yeah, Bradley wasn't great either, to be honest with I mean, you. Yeah. Just so so. I mean, just, there's He's not there's physical, such a drop man. off. There's such a drop off when Rudy goes and sits.
2: Yeah, New Orleans led by what? As much as sixteen? And then the Jazz going on this stupid run. I mean, it was incredible. Uh but just that the midway through the second quarter, or I guess early second quarter to the start of the fourth quarter was all Pelicans. All Pelicans the whole entire way through. Hey,
3: um, can I say something that was not related to the actual play? Yeah, go ahead. There, With the restart, a lot of attention on how this was going to restart. And for some people, they were discovering this for the first time with the Black Lives Matter that was on the court, with the jerseys that they had on, uh, the messages that happened before the game happened, uh, the, the, the uh, messages on the shoes and the sneakers, uh, everybody taking a knee, not just the players, but coaches, and even the referees. Last night, totally unprecedented. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of negative comments. I've, I've heard a lot of negative comments about that. Um, this is a transcription of an interview with Joe Ingalls. And if we have time, I'm going to go try to get through this. I'd like to hear this. Here's something that Joe Ingalls had to say. I kind of wish in some respects that the people who think we're doing this for the wrong reason, I wish they could sit in a room with these guys. And I'm not going to name names because it's obviously not my place to put their business out there. But some of the conversations i've listened to within our film room or wherever it is have made me sick to my stomach i'm getting almost teary now thinking about what some of their family friends brothers sisters parents have had to go through if you can sit in these rooms and listen to these people talk how upset they are it breaks us and i think that makes my decision to support my guys easier because i hear it i can look at these guys faces and see how distraught they are from it and that's why i know from my point of view I'm doing the right thing by supporting them and being by their side, and nothing will change that. I 100% stand by my teammates, and I would hope that everyone could. Maybe you're not going to hear it from these specific players, but just have a think about some of the stuff you read about You read about happening to your own family, your own brother or sister or mom or dad, and that's why it makes me so comfortable to do what I do because I have heard that. Close
2: wow. quote. Did you see... Um before the, because I, I did watch the TNT broadcast, so I'm such a big fan of Iron Eagle. But I saw the tribute and, and some of the stuff that at Sportsnet did, which was wonderful. But Thurl Bailey got emotional, too, after watching the, um, their peaceful protest of just kneeling for the anthem. And you can say whatever you want about kneeling for the anthem, whether it's wrong, whether it's right, whether you're going to watch sports or not. You're still going to watch it, so shut up. But the hero, and I know personally what Thurl Bailey's been through. Him and I have sat down and had conversations personally, between him and I, about some of the things that he went through in, in his early life, especially in his marriage. Um, and it's tough. It is really, really tough what he's been through. And so, him seeing that and then getting emotional about what it meant. Um, and, and Thurl is one of the most sweetest, genuine human beings on this earth. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. But you could tell how much you know standing up for something right meant to him, and because uh, of well, the stuff that he's been through in his personal life, and it was so well done. And I love those words from Joe, like and Joe's been through a personal hell of him, uh, for himself too, you know, having the two kids yeah, and playing a season through it. Yeah, but it's, but he, and his teammates were there for him, absolutely there for him. Donovan Mitchell, Kyle Corver were two of the first guys to go up to him and say, "Look, what's going on, and what can we do for you." And so now Joe gets to return the favor, and, and with without even hesitation Joe does that, and that's the kind of guy Joe it's, That's kind of that's the kind of team we have here in Utah. We we should be absolutely feeling lucky about it. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break really quickly. We'll come back, wrap up the first hour. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch your dial. Don't worry about the odd couple; they're not coming on because we are up for hour number two.
3: Just like there's bonus basketball in Orlando, we got bonus radio, and you might even have more deep diapers. <laughs> Eric's
0: favorite. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball Team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio,
2: The Fan. One minute left here in hour number one of the Full Court Press. Season 3, Episode 1, Eric France and AJ Salveson, 106 and FM, 1390 AM, and streaming on 106andthefan.com. Hey, thanks for being a part of our show so far. 435-339-0321 to text in. Four three five seven five two one zero six one zero six nine to call in. It's just not my day. I, I should have let you just do this all.
3: Hey, uh, over fifteen hundred tests in the NHL, and no
2: positives. And that is how you run a bubble, MLB. <laughs> if you're wondering.
3: <laughs> NHL and the NBA seem to be doing just fine so far.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then in on regards the other- to
3: testing and keeping it under control.
2: Major League Baseball's got a huge issue on their hands. We're going to get to that in the next hour. We're also going to get to college football. Pac-12 has announced our conference schedule. We'll let you know what the youths look like. Uh, we've also got uh, SEC announcement. We've got uh, announcements from the Big Ten, or at least a letter. Is there going to be football in the fall? Yes, no, maybe so. We'll all find out. Hour number two the Full Court Press coming up. Stick around.
1: I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The NBA appeared to bend over backwards to bring in the New Orleans Pelicans down to the bubble. At least that's what a lot of people's perception is of why they settled on 22 teams to compete. Based on the television schedule, there's no doubt they consider Zion Williamson a huge draw. Ideally, the Pelicans find a way to reach the postseason and face the Lakers in the first round. The problem is they enter the bubble as the number 10 seed, and they have a lot of work to do. Last night, they were reminded why they are currently not a playoff team. They lost a close game to the Jazz in the NBA's first game back. Zion, on a strict minutes count, they turned the ball over 20 times and in crunch time, couldn't hit the big shot. Despite the hype, the Pelicans are young. They're exciting. They're fun. They appear to have a great future but just because they're on TV all the time doesn't mean they're suddenly going to be ready to win on a consistent basis, at least not in the bubble in Orlando. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.